Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I feel like I'm building the plane as I'm flying it. But we had no choice. Everybody's doing that right now. And I think we just have to be honest with ourselves and each other that like this is a moment of a lot of experimentation and we just have to be comfortable in the discomfort. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. When we're entrepreneurs, having time off is confusing because we feel like, at least I feel like I'm not being productive enough. Like it's, it's not okay to take a minute to breathe, to take a nap in the middle of the day or whatever, take time out to do the dishes. Everything's so calculated. Every, everything needs to be about productivity and efficiency and scaling and management and, and all these things. But sometimes doing those things well gets lost in the mix. And I've talked about this in a previous episode, if we don't take care of ourselves first. And it's funny, I, I don't have kids. And one of my good friends does have kids. And sometimes I'll tell him I'm so frustrated with myself that I watched a TV show and he'll remind me, hey, listen, get into all the TV shows you can, because when you have kids, the option isn't even there. And so sometimes I to have perspective, I think of him telling me that. But it's interesting that we don't allow ourselves as a culture this space to just unwind and turn off that we feel like to be the best leaders and the most efficient people that we could be, we have to do as much possible with every single second of the day. But um, I'm curious what leadership would look like if um, I did prioritize chilling the F out sometimes. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? All right. Enjoy the next episode. so hyped to celebrate. She is someone I've known for a long time. We are peers in the LA tech community. She has a company called Startup Coil. She also has moved into the consulting space. So all these conferences that were happening in person now are happening online and people don't know how to do that. She is helping them because that's what she had to do with Startup Coil. She runs one of the largest mixers in the LA tech industry. So she had to figure out how to bring her mixers online and I'm so excited for her to share her story with you. Welcome, 
Rachel. Woo, what a warm welcome, Esprit. Thank you so much for having me. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. um, My name is Rachel Horning. I am the CEO of Startup Coil. We are one of LA's largest online tech event networks. We tell people where to go for a good time in the tech world. And we are located in basically the entire LA County area with happy hour meetups. And then also we're in Orange County. Obviously, pre-COVID, we were convening hundreds of people at really fun venues. And now that we're all quarantining and events are illegal, we are getting very experimental with virtual formats that still encourage human connection, but in a whole different way. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. You just took a leap. Now, not to invade your personal life too much, but I think you're okay with this and we could always cut it if you're not. You had a stable job and you were set up in your career and you decided to take a leap, become a founder. And then just months after COVID happened, is that okay for me to share? Of course. You are correct. I had a really great consulting job in Hollywood. I come out of the communications world and for the last seven years of my life have had this entrepreneurial itch, but I've always just kept it to my night job and sort of, you know, called it my side hustle while I was running various online event companies and finally said, you know what? Now is my time. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to quit my day job. I'm going to let go of a paycheck. I've never in my adult life not had a paycheck. So February 7th was my last day at the consulting agency and my first day as CEO of Startup Coil. And within four weeks, uh, we had to shutter all of our events. And those events were my main source of income. And so we've had to pivot our entire business model. It was terrifying. I think actually it was you, Esprit, you texted me and you said, like, do you regret your decision had you known that COVID was going to happen? And the answer is no. Um, I'm so stoked that I'm on this path. I have a lot of learning ahead of me. Um, However, has it been scary? Has it been challenging? Have I cried? Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it's been such an exciting time because obviously we're all learning together. And I think, yes, this is like a devastating moment. And there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about each other. And, you know, I think this is more of an invitation to really lean into our friendships and really make sure that we're all okay. At the same time, I refuse to sit around and be mopey. I have things to do. So what I've been telling people is it's up to us to really find the light in the darkness and no one's going to hand you hope on a silver platter. You have to look for it. You have to create it. You have to invite others to see it with you. And I think there's been no more meaningful moment, at least in my lifetime, where that's been more important than it is now. And again, we could totally cut it if it's too personal. In the past you know, few months, is also when you bought your first home. True. Is that okay to share? Yeah, that's um, one of the joys of having a stable income. You get to save money. Um, and in my case, yeah, last July, I finally bought my first house. It's located in El Sereno, right outside of downtown LA. And so on top of all of the you know, uncertainty with COVID and uncertainty around my next paycheck, to myself, I had a mortgage to pay and I'm an Airbnb host 
Airbnb got, you know, totally slammed in all of this because people can't be tourists anymore. So it was kind of this, like a perfect storm. And everything that I had set myself up for in 2020 came to a crashing halt. And it was really kind of this like do or die moment where I had to really like reckon with what I needed to do to get through this. So yeah, I'm still kind of there, but things are looking brighter. And one of the things that I felt really touched by is before we started recording, I was sharing how a lot of people in business right now are experiencing compassion fatigue. And and you're saying, yeah, I've noticed a lot of people feeling very tired as well, but I'm not feeling tired. What do you think energizes you right now? Because of course, with all that pressure that you're going through, that's a lot, but that you're still energized. Where are you fueling? Where are you sourcing your energy from? What a question. I feel like I have this duty to deliver events that invite people to stay connected during the most physically disconnected time of my entire life. I think I was put on this planet to connect human beings. If anything, this has been kind of my call to arms that I least expected. And had you asked me two months ago, like, could you ever imagine a world where people are literally told they can't see each other? I would be like, no, you're crazy. But here we are. Totally. I, yeah. I, it's I, like a movie. Yeah, we're I'm, living in a movie. We're living in a movie. I happen to have, now it's going to be self-proclaimed, but I think others might agree. I happen to have like a really big passion for bringing people together and what we're hearing from our community, especially the Startup Coil community right now, is just that, you know, the fact that they get to meet new people on our virtual happy hours, which we'll talk about in a bit, I think is yeah. such a gift that we didn't even necessarily think of as a gift. We were just trying to experiment a little bit, but people are feeling this resonance with the experience of getting to just share company with other people online. And so we're just, we're going to see where that takes us. It's, it's a crazy time. I so normally I like to go into your background, but I think I'm going to do that second on this particular interview because it's so helpful sharing, like, how can we pivot? What new choices can we make? So I'd love to dive into the experience that you've had with Startup Coil and like how you've pivoted as a team and how you became this go-to consultant for enterprise companies to bring their offline events online. Like, it's extraordinary. Yeah. I'll start with the first part of the question, like, how have we actually pivoted. Basically, we had to think about more existentially, what do we actually provide when we host meetups? And what are we actually providing for people at these happy hour events that others might not be providing? Like, what is our secret sauce? And how can we replicate that in a virtual setting? And, you know, we also tried out doing some wellness events. We've tried doing live broadcasting and that was a shit show. Um, so <laughs> what I what I said to my co-founder, Zach, very early on is like, we got to buckle up because we're just going to be throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And this has been the most experimental phase of my entire professional career because we've had to create things, fail at them quickly, you know, figure out why that didn't work. Do we enjoy it? Does this actually spark joy? Does it not? Um, and I think our tried and true virtual offering at this point is the very thing that we're known for in the first place, uh, which are those happy hours. And so what we're actually doing is enhancing, in my opinion, enhancing the overall experience that our attendees are having in ways that 
I don't think that in-person events could quite achieve. And that's done, and as you experienced firsthand of Spree, through these breakout rooms that we're doing on Zoom. Totally. I was blown away. Yeah. And we have prompts that people can respond to. And people are just opening up their hearts. It's kind of incredible. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure why Zoom is encouraging this vulnerability, but one thing that I was thinking about is, well, you can't see how tall someone is. You don't really have any sense of like their physical stature. So we can't judge people based on an, any sort of appearance, really, other than this little teeny box that you're seeing. And then having some other host curating, you know, these randomized breakout rooms really takes the pressure off of the individual to find you know, that other person that happens to not be talking to someone at a networking event. I think that networking events can be really intimidating for a lot of people. And we're eliminating the most intimidating parts of it and really just allowing people to get down to the nitty gritty of like, hi, I'm a human being. And so are you let's talk. And we're feeding them prompts that allow them to not even have to worry about what the heck they're talking about. And so it's been this really cool kind of, again, experiment. I'm going to use that word a lot because literally everything in my life right now is an experiment. Um, (laughs) But we've been really excited about just the, the feedback that we're getting from attendees. You know, you've been awesome at giving us feedback too. So thank you. And I'd be, you know, curious to hear what your experience was like because I know that you were at, I think, our first one. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was the first one. After I got off, I said I had never been in a breakout room before. And for those of you who don't know what that is still, Zoom, uh, Zoom, which just I feel like the whole world is using Zoom, but Zoom's a technology to um, communicate online. We'll just say that. And everyone seems to be using Zoom right now um, in the state that we're in. And they have a feature called breakout rooms where you could put people, you could either manually or automatically put them in rooms and you could assign how many people to a room. So I just did the Los Angeles podcasters meet up this week. And so I did four people to a room just automatically assigned. And then people are able to have a meaningful conversation about like how Rachel said to a prompt. So the prompt was how to grow your podcast. And so then everybody in each room grew your podcast. Now this feature talked about how to grow your podcast. This feature to me was so novel when I discovered it through thanks to Rachel that I actually called Rachel after and I asked her permission if I could do the same thing because I felt like (laughs) she had like paved the way. I was like, well, I don't want to like copy you. Like this is your idea. She's like, no, it's like a feature. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not proprietary. (laughs) Yeah. I just felt like I lit and, but it wasn't just having the feature. It was how she utilized the feature, how she made the conversation very meaningful is what made the experience of her of our hangout, her mixer really unique. And man, people were into it. People feel really comfortable and at ease at her events. And and it's cool. I had someone else who's um, currently, you know, out of a job because she worked in offline experiences like offline events, right? And I went through another virtual kind of event series since yours, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And it it felt like the group of us had met in person, even though we hadn't met in person. It was this week long thing. At the end of it, it felt like we had met in person. And my friend who who had worked in events said, man, if I could learn how to create a virtual experience where you feel like that, that would be amazing. And essentially, Rachel, that's what you've 
figured out. That's that's what you have figured out and are continuing to figure out to even optimize it even more. And that brings you into this consultancy, which I just was blown away and it makes so much sense. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, if I have anything, it's an amazing network of friends and colleagues and just peers in general. And I was given an opportunity by a dear friend slash mentor of mine. And he put me in touch with friends of his that were very much in a bind and they had a conference and still have this upcoming conference in May, the middle of May, and then a separate sort of week um, at the end of May. And he told us, you know, these guys need to put on a massive conference. This was supposed to happen in person this has been really scary for them because this conference is a major revenue generator for, it's actually a nonprofit. And this nonprofit is all about ensuring that web developers, Fortune 500 companies, leaders from all over the world glean and learn tools to use to ensure accessibility online. So it's important work that they're doing. It's noble work that they're doing. And they needed to figure out how to translate what would have been an in-person experience into a virtual experience. And so I threw my hat in the ring with one other person and basically overnight built a consulting agency. I created a logo in Canva. I created a deck, you know, that really illustrated all of the different capacities that we would bring to the table. And we beat out like two other production companies, as it turns out. And I don't know how or why, but there we were. And then, you know, four days later, brought in another client. I have about a decade of experience producing events. I have much less experience producing virtual events. However, you know, my knowledge is able to really translate, I think, into the virtual arena simply because I know how to encourage human connection, cultivate human connection. It's my passion, like I mentioned. So as long as I surround myself with more technical savvy people, we're golden. And so it's become this really exciting undertaking. I think the demand is huge, especially for nonprofits that rely on big fundraising events or conference series. Um, They're absolutely going to have to figure this out and they're going to have to move quickly. So the other client that we just brought in actually has an event um, coming up. They've already postponed it by about a month, but this event brings in something like 40% of their annual revenue, one event. And that's pretty common in the nonprofit space. And so, you know, it wasn't even a question for them whether or not they were going to pivot to virtual. They needed to do it. And so then, you know, they hired us and we are helping them pave the way. uh, And we're basically translating their entire event playbook into a format that makes sense virtually. And it looks very different. You know, what an in-person event, we call them TikToks in the event industry, but sort of what that playbook looks like um, for an in-person event, the timing is completely different. You have to think about if there's concurrent tracks, for example, at a conference, but also for a fundraising event where there's an auction. You know, in Zoom, you're going to have to create the infrastructure that you know will facilitate all of these concurrent experiences, and not very many people know how to do that. So we are delivering, I think, a really important service, and are going to continue enhancing our own skills so that we can serve clients 
you know, better and better and better as we go. And we're frankly, we're learning as we go. I, I just said to you earlier, I feel like I'm building the plane as I'm flying it. But we had no choice. Everybody's doing that right now. And I think we just have to be honest with ourselves and each other that like, this is a moment of inflection. This is a moment of vulnerability. And my favorite word of the day, this is a moment of a lot of experimentation. And we just have to be comfortable in the discomfort, frankly. So that's my shtick. Completely. I mean, the thing that I like about you doing this the best is that because you have produced so many offline events and now you're producing all your events virtually for Startup Coil, you understand on a very real level what it means to take an event with, you know, hundreds to thousands of people offline and move it online. I feel like if you were always just online, you just don't have the kind of, um, emotional understanding of like the interactions that happen offline that need to be replicated online. And I just think that that's like an extra, that's a layer that to me is it would be really important. Like you have to understand when they walk in a door physically somewhere, we have the greeter person. So what is the, what is the simulation of that virtually? And like, I don't know. I just think that the compassion, not to bring up the word compassion again, but the compassion element of knowing that pain, I think is really important in your process for sure. I completely agree with you. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I had to have my own like paradigm shift. I think in the beginning of all of this, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm scared. Nothing is going as planned. All of my like sources of revenue are no longer available to me. Woe is me playing the whole victim card. Like this shit sucks. I hope I'm allowed to cuss. And it came to me that, you know, if actually what I love doing is cultivating human connection, maybe this is actually like the biggest sort of moment of, I guess, needing to feel like I'm being invited to step up and level up. Like this is my moment because what do people need more than anything right now, I think is human connection. And I happen to be good at that. And so I think what I needed to realize and tell myself as I like created this narrative shift in my head was no, 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 this is not the time to play victim. This is the time to lean into all the shit that I already know how to do without worrying about all the distractions like venues, like bar tabs, like food menus, like good acoustics in the room. I mean, online, you still need to worry about acoustics kind of, but there's just, I think, uh, an invitation to think about the very thing that you're hoping your audience will take away thinking about the thing or feeling a certain way, you get to still do that. It's just different. And who knows how long this is going to last. I think if anything, we're just going to learn how to make in-person events even better through this process. And then I also think people are going to sort of be more comfortable in the future doing more stuff virtually because we're realizing, oh my God, when you're not worried about traffic, when you're not worried about air travel, you can do so much more. I can have so many more meetings every day. And, you know, if you wanted to do something for a Fortune 500 company that happens to be bi-coastal, you can do the New York and the LA dinner within 12 hours of each other. And it's just, there's no limitations anymore. So there's a lot to be excited about as an event person. You just have to kind of tailor it to this moment that we're in and really understand 
the technical nature. It's interesting. There's this organization that I just discovered called the 747 Club. It's I think it's 747club.org. And oh, do you know it? I just had my first 747 dinner with Chris. Tell us about it because I'm about to have mine the next week. Oh my God. I just had my first dinner. It was really cool. He has it down like the playbook is like down to the minute. He's really impressive in how he runs this from his New York apartment um, with his girlfriend. And, you know, he has a whole backstory about how it all started with some pasta sauce. And then he like wrote a book and has been hosting. He had, I think, something like 250 dinners under his belt. But almost every single night of quarantine, he's hosted a virtual dinner. And it's people from all different walks of life, from different parts of the world, um, that he encourages to think about and the grounding question for each of his events is who do you want to give thanks to that you don't give enough thanks to already? And I'm sure that's not exactly how he says it, but that was sort of the key sort of like grounding theme for the dinner. And we actually had those conversations in breakout rooms. So back to the breakout rooms, you know, you're able to really simulate like a more intimate space for people to share. Um, But then we did plenty actually in the main room on Zoom too. And I was part of the LA cohort on the West Coast, and it was only 4.47 my time. So I brought a little glass of wine, but it was too early for dinner. But he had everyone go around and talk about what they're eating for dinner, um, and then progressively got us you know, to open up about more things. And then I think it was the final question in the breakout room where we were able to talk about giving thanks to someone that we don't normally give thanks to. And it really like touched me. And I actually decided I needed to give thanks to that person. And the next morning, I was able to actually give thanks to the person that I had really, um, you know, given my shout out to uh, during my 747 dinner with Chris and his team. So it was a really meaningful experience. And, you know, similar to the virtual happy hours that I'm hosting, I think it just invited people to feel like they were part of something bigger than themselves while they're quarantining at home. Completely. And let's get into um, your background now. When did you first become interested in business and technology? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. Let's get into um, your background now. When did you first become interested in business and technology? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was a student body senator at UC Berkeley and happened to be the chair of the finance committee. This is where it all began. Um, I was asked to fund a Code for LA hackathon my junior year of college when I was a student body senator. And I had never heard of a hackathon. Mind you, this was in either 2010 or 2011. Uh, And I just remember like looking them up later and we were funding like 15 different student organizations every single week during these finance committee meetings. But there was something interesting about Code for America that really piqued my interest. I was studying sociology and public policy 
And Code for America was sort of like this beautiful amalgamation of all things like modernity and technology blended with public policy. And I looked them up. And then not only did I look them up, I attended the hackathon because I had never heard of such a thing. And flash forward to my first job out of college working at a chamber of commerce, I just remember thinking that we're sitting on this hotbed, you know, this was pre-Silicon Beach being named Silicon Beach, but um, the Chamber of Commerce actually had Playa Vista where YouTube Space LA was moving in and Google was moving in, Facebook was moving in, and they didn't yet understand, I think, how to be relevant to the tech audience. And so, you know, bringing with me my love for technology that began my junior year of college. I sort of took on the role of entrepreneur, launched a co-working space with the Chamber of Commerce, and then built an entire community and network that we called Connect to Tech LA, where we hosted events that connected a lot of the traditional business owners with the tech community, the design community. And that's where it all began. So yeah, that was freaking cool. So just in case, what is a hackathon? Great question. So a hackathon is where folks from lots of different backgrounds, it's not just technical people, are invited to come and basically hack a problem. So whether the problem is people are experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles, what can we do about it, to there is a specific drug that has not yet responded to you know, patients with cancer, what can we do about it, to you know, there's too many pedestrians getting hit by oncoming traffic at this specific intersection. What can we do about it? It's just an invitation. It's like a call to arms for people from lots of different backgrounds to approach really big, unwieldy problems with iterative creativity. And um, lots of really cool companies have come out of hackathons, really great ideas come out of hackathons, and they can be a lot of fun. I love it. And then you took your first position professionally, and it wasn't necessarily in tech or business. How did you parlay professionally into the tech and business world? Yeah, I think, you know, that first position that I had was not intended by any means to get me in front of the tech audience, but I sort of made it so. I've created a lot of opportunities for myself just using kind of my own creativity and following my interests. But when we were creating Connect to Tech LA, I it, just by virtue of asking people to come speak at our events and just based on my own interest and in getting to know the community, managed to actually get to know folks like yourself and my business partner, Zach Sekar, who was busy launching one of the first ever tech meetups for Los Angeles. And it was honestly just like hitting people up on LinkedIn saying, hey, or on Meetup saying, hey, like, I love what you're up to. I work at the Chamber of Commerce. These are like the, the people in our network. Would you be open to collaborating? And I think having, you know, the, the ability to say like, I have apartments that want to host events and the apartment owners are members of the Chamber of Commerce. And then we had hotels that were being built as well. And um, so I actually had a little bit of leverage just because of who was already in the chamber network. And then, you know, we were able to collaborate. And then that's how um, Zach and I actually started working together way back when. Rachel, one question that I love to ask, what is a really big obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? And I know we talked about 
right now, this obstacle that you're overcoming right now? So I feel like you've already answered it, but I just didn't want to take away that moment to ask you again, because I just think it's such an important question. Yeah, I think, you know, the ongoing struggle is probably for me anyway, just like imposter syndrome. Like, why am I here? Why me? And not feeling like I'm good enough. And there's just always like that voice in the back of my head that continues to challenge me to do my deep breathing every day. (laughs) Completely. Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, this moment has probably been one of the most defining moments for my entire career. I don't know too many other people that quit their day job. Literally, like I don't qualify for unemployment because I quit my job and not to mention don't really have a whole lot of payroll to point to for like all the PPP funding. Like I'm just in such a unique little situation. And so this has been a struggle. It's been an uphill battle. It's been an invitation for me to really think long and hard about like why it is that I do what I do and really how I can use my skills to leverage this moment and to not just like wave the white flag and say, I give up and go get a day job. Like, no, I refuse to do that. That's not what this moment is supposed to look like for me. And I have no judgment toward people that are choosing to do that. At the same time, I know that something like one in 10 employees have either been laid off or furloughed, like unemployment is crazy right now. So anyway, yeah, this has been probably the most career defining moment of my entire life. Thank you, COVID. Thank you. (laughs) Powerful. Uh, Question. Have you ever, all of them are questions. I am the host. Um, Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have. So I just recorded with my dear friend, Martin Devin, actually. He's like launching a new podcast and uh, had that interview a couple of weeks ago. I love it. And what's his podcast? We'll give a shout out to him. I believe it's called My Corona which is a really funny name. (laughs) My Corona. Corona. Yeah, we did it at the same time. (laughs) And um, your favorite tech tool. Oh my God. It could be mobile app. It could be software, anything. Mm. I think this is going to sound super generic, but I just had this revelation yesterday that I felt really naked without Slack. (laughs) Like I rely, I rely super heavily on Slack. I know it's not for everyone, but I love it. Um, so I'm going to stick with Slack and I'm sure an hour from now I'm going to be like, oh, but wait, there's that other thing. Uh, but that's fine. I'm sticking with Slack. No, Slack works. And just in case, I feel like everybody knows Slack, but I don't want to make an assumption. Give us a quick little brief on Slack. Oh, for sure. Um, Slack is the greatest invention since sliced bread. <laughs> um, so Slack allows teams to have basically curated conversations around channels that you set for the team based on the the specific nature of the work that you're doing with them. And it has so many great API plugins now that allow you to connect to things like Trello, um, if that's what you choose to use for your project management and and sort of like project flow. But it just allows for kind of this like around the clock collaboration between um, members of your team. And it's very nimble. um, And, you know, for me anyway, it just sort of promotes this feeling of connectedness to my team at all hours. And because of the different channels that you can create, it allows for information sharing as well. So it's it's kind of this neat um, multi-pronged um, conversational like messaging tool. That is perfect. And your favorite book? 
Oh my God. There's been so many a spree. I'm a big fan of Audible. Um, I just read How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. He also wrote Omnivore's Dilemma. It's all about a psilocybin and tripping on mushrooms, but, you know, really focuses on positive use cases. So he goes into the history of a psilocybin and kind of the prohibition of it, but then also talks about the magic that it's bringing to people that use it um, to overcome addictions, to overcome PTSD. And it's a really interesting read. And Michael Pollan, uh, I think still is a professor, but certainly was while I was um, in attendance at UC Berkeley. So go Bears for anyone that's listening that happens to have attended. Rachel, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Womenintechvip.com takes you straight to the Facebook group. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Woo! Thank you, Esprit. My name is Rachel Horning. I am the CEO of Startup Coil. Startup Coil is one of LA's largest startup tech event networks based in Los Angeles, California. And you are listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We are L.A. Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.